Hi, and welcome to another episode of The Walk. I'm Father Roderick, and I'm starting today's walk here on the square in front of the Church of St. John the Baptist here in Wageningen, where I'm still being hosted by Father Henry in his rectory in the loft. And this is week five, I think. <laughs> it is incredible how fast time goes by. And I have a lot to tell you. I need to catch you up on what's been happening. But first, let me uh, put in a disclaimer. <laughs> I may be a little bit incoherent from time to time. I may ramble. I may search for words because I just <laughs> worked an entire night on an edit. I may have shared with you that uh, I had three more TV episodes to produce before the summer holiday. It is the uh, last part of my contract and I had chosen to retell the story of my walk to Santiago de Compostela, the Camino, which is now three years ago, almost four years ago. And back then I, I did a summary of that experience in a TV show But cramming 40 days, or actually 43 days, of video footage into 25 minutes and still trying to produce a coherent story, that is something that uh, always kind of left me with a sense of regret that I wasn't able to show most of the experience to my viewers. And so I uh, proposed to finish this... Uh, or close off this, uh, this season, um, this first half of the year, to close it off with a springtime special, because it was around this time of the year that I actually was walking that Camino in a world that had never heard of <laughs> COVID, that uh, was completely free of concerns of being huddled together with uh, thousands of people <laughs> sleeping in small, tiny rooms with uh, bunk beds, with multiple pilgrims. None of that is, uh, is going to come back anytime soon. At first, I think the world needs to be vaccinated and we need to be able to get rid of uh, the virus, not just in our countries, but also in the rest of the world where the virus also needs to be stopped to prevent it from mutating and uh, posing new threats to mankind. So I, I realize even more now how special that experience was and uh, how grateful I am to have the entire journey on video. Back then I, uh, I had just uh, gotten a, an iPhone 6 and it was a, um, a used iPhone was already, um, uh, I think, a two-year-old model. But it did have an HD camera, which I think may have been one of the first iPhones to feature a, a real good camera. The front camera was not that good. So the selfies and everything I filmed with front camera is uh, 720p, which is okay. I mean, it's, if you use it sparingly, you can get, a, you can get away with it. But... Uh, It really shows that it's not uh, HD. 
but the back camera was actually surprisingly good and uh, even back then and this is like what are we now at iPhone 12 <laughs> like <laughs> incredible how how much Apple has improved but even back then the video quality was surprisingly good and I would say the compression of the image was even better than currently on my Asus Zenfone, which <clears throat> often shows artifacts because it reduces the bitrate. It's a bit of a technical story here, but it basically tries to cram all that HD information in as little data as possible, whereas the iPhone either has a higher bitrate or has a much better compression uh, technology uh, technique. So the image is really good colors are are amazing um and i carried that thing around for the entire journey i wasn't even planning on filming my camino with my phone i had taken a sony small sony camera with me that broke down after two or three days and i couldn't use it anymore so i had to resort to the phone and in the end i'm actually very glad that i did because the phone is so much more Versatile, you can use it in almost any situation. Plus, it was relatively waterproof, it wasn't entirely water resistant. But, um, especially with a, I think I had a like a rubberized cover around it, I actually managed to use it in almost any type of weather. And so, as I'm walking here through the main street of Wageningen, and uh, people on bikes are passing me by, and shops are, are open. Uh, we've had a bit of a relaxation of the rules recently. The numbers are looking good right now, so you don't have to make an appointment anymore to go to a store. You can just walk in as long as you do social distancing and you, you wear your mask. It's, it's fine. Uh, in the back you hear the sound of the, uh, of the bells on the main square, and I'm turning here to the left, and I am going to walk to the towards the river that's very close by and I love walking there it it almost immediately puts you in a different world far away from traffic and noise and people which is sometimes what I need especially when I'm tired like I am today so the downside of this whole project and I have to be honest in the back of my mind I had also uh this idea that if I edit it now in, in Adobe Premiere, whereas my previous uh, episode on, on the Camino was made in Avid, and I don't use Avid anymore, thank goodness. If I do this in, in Adobe Premiere, then it would be relatively easy to expand it and translate it so I can show it to uh, an international audience as well. So I was putting extra care in it, uh, really polished up the material as much as I could and of course I've learned so much about editing color correction uh, pacing uh, it's a it's a world of difference between the father Roderick who edited uh, the Camino uh, what was it three years ago and the one that is editing it now so I was really trying to make it as beautiful as possible the downside is it took a ton of time so <laughs> The biggest regret that I have is that I never recorded any commentary of myself during the Camino. So 
if I would do this again, and I probably will do this again, um, I would stop every day and record myself at various moments during the journey and just give commentary on what is happening, describe the places, interview. I would definitely interview the, the, my fellow pilgrims. I've done none of that. Uh, one of the reasons was, uh, of course, the experience was super exhausting and uh, this was something I'd never done before. I didn't want to focus too much on on filming uh, and thereby missing what the Camino would do to, to me personally. I mean, I didn't walk the Camino to make a documentary out of it. Uh, the second reason that I never filmed myself or hardly ever filmed myself commenting is that I, I, I was producing some vlogs at the, during the first half of the journey, or actually the first, I would say one third of the journey. Where do I go? Uh, there is a canal here, and I don't know how to cross it. Uh, if I go to the left, I thought I could walk up to to the dike there, but I can't see it now. Maybe if I walk, is this just a? There's a flight of stairs here. Maybe this will lead to a bridge. No, actually, it leads to uh, an uh, what is it? Panoramic roof here from here you can see well actually you can't see the river because the dike is higher than this thing okay i'll just go down the stairs and walk a little bit further there must be a bridge over this canal so uh ooh, this is all gosh i'm walking in in the water this is not a path this is actually well actually it's supposed to be a path but there is like an inch of water, and I didn't see it. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the reason that I never gave commentary is that I did not know if I had to uh, uh, talk in English or in Dutch. I didn't want to record everything in both languages, especially because the iPhone didn't have a backup uh, possibility and only had 128 megabytes, which still is quite a lot and was a lot at the time it was huge um, but I knew that uh, that once full I, I probably couldn't uh, couldn't continue filming so I was very um, prudent not to waste any video material or, or space by recording myself too much um, and then, of course, the selfie camera was just 720p, and I knew that it didn't look good. It didn't even have a wide angle, so it was very hard to film yourself uh, <laughs> in an acceptable quality. So I kind of skipped that. The, the, the result is I have all this footage of me walking, and it's good. It's really good. I'm, I'm so happy with how it turned out, but there is no narrative. And so I had to recreate the narrative, just as I did with my TV shows about uh, Ireland and some other vacations that I, <laughs> that I used video material of. I first had to write a voiceover text that would do the narration. But to write a voiceover text is actually very, very hard. Okay, so I'm now on the dike, and here is a crossing over it. And I'm going to see if I can walk. Oh, wait a minute. This path is locked. Maybe 
So I was hoping to uh, be able to walk through the grasslands towards the, the river, but it's fenced off, and it may be because of the birds. Maybe because uh, it's a breeding season. Uh, br- breeding, yeah, <laughs> not brooding. It's the breeding season, so you may disturb all the, all the birds that are nesting there. I'll just walk alongside the fence, see if there is another path further down the road. Uh, so writing a voiceover text means that you have to, first of all, recreate what happened. You have to tell the story of all these loose images. And sometimes I would only film maybe two minutes worth of material for one day. However, in retrospect, that day would be super important for the entire story. You never know that when you're filming it. You only know that when you're looking back on the experience. And so sometimes you have to really juggle around images and see if you can still tell a story even though you don't have enough material or you have the wrong material. And then, of course, you also have to decide what to leave out. And the thing is, the experience of the Camino was so impactful that almost every day carries its memories. And for me, every moment uh, is, is valuable but it's not necessarily the case for the viewer. So this is, for me, writing a voiceover text like this and then editing afterwards is a very uh, iterative uh, process. So I, have, I write something, then I go back, I reread it again. I'm thinking, oh, well, this is a little bit, little bit too much detail or now I'm kind of missing uh, a direction in the story. Where is this going? You constantly also have to keep the viewer engaged. So you want to come up with a, uh, like a, you need to formulate why you're walking the next part of your journey, what you learn, uh, what, you, what you struggle with. Every story needs tension. And sometimes that tension is there and was there. Uh, wait a minute, I think I can go through this. Yeah, let me go through this uh, wooden fence here. That is meant to keep keep the the wild animals uh, I think they have horses here maybe sheep from uh, walking to to the city center <laughs> which would not be a good idea um, I, th- I see a like an elephant path is that also an English word where people have been walking here uh, and that by itself has created a path I'm, I'm just walking over this was, looks a little bit like the the uh, the small pathways you find in Ireland uh, that are actually made by the sheep. And uh, because they always kind of walk the same itinerary back and forth, so it automatically creates a, a path. Um, so you, you, the tension is something you have to constantly be aware of. How do you keep the viewer looking forward to what's happening next? And so that requires also leaving out a lot of stuff that for me is very interesting and uh, maybe also for someone who wants to walk the Camino. But if you're just a casual viewer, it's too much detail and you need more motivation to keep watching. So uh, I finally had the text for the first uh, leg of the journey, the first 15 days. Actually, went a little bit too far maybe because... The total amount of days is like 43, uh, divided by 3. 
of course, is about 13 days. Um, but I, I thought that day 15 was a pretty important kind of, cl- well, not a cliffhanger day, but definitely a day that was uh, kind of pivotal for that first part of the journey. It was the moment that I was forced to rely on on God's providence. So I had had several nudges uh, during the journey that things would turn out fine. And one of the things that I was looking for when I was going to walk the Camino was, I need to find some rest. I feel constantly stressed and I'm pushing myself way too hard and I need to learn how to let go, learn to trust. But my biggest struggle during that first part of the journey was my will to keep a grip on the entire experience, to plan everything, to constantly push myself as if it was a, uh, a contest. Um, I was kind of mentally struggling with the fact that I only had 40 days to walk the Camino because I was um, supposed to be back in the parish at one point and I had no... I had no margin, so I I planned out the journey, and I could fit it in if I kept walking a certain distance every day. And the problem... Oh, wait a minute. Here it gets... Uh, the grass turns into a swamp here. Ew! Oh, my goodness. Ouch. Now I have muddy water on my shoe, and hopefully not in my shoe. This is when I really miss my walking boots. I wouldn't even blink at a small puddle like that, but I'm actually wearing the only pair of shoes that has survived (laughs) the uh, pandemic. It's my Sunday shoes. All the other pairs of shoes that I had are are used up, and I have to throw them away. This is the only pair that I still have. So I'm actually very glad that the shops are open again. And now I need to find a, a shop that has my favorite brand of shoes, the Rockport. Maybe this was a very bad idea to take this this route. This is definitely not meant for pedestrians. It's so soggy. Oh well. Um, so the, uh, uh, the, the the struggle that I had by trying to control the things was constantly <laughs> put to the test, or it was was intensified by the fact that oftentimes bad things happen when you're walking the Camino. And uh, it started with a medical issue where I had an inflammation of my Achilles heel because I pushed myself one day, very first week, walking two uh, legs of the of the journey in, in one day. So I walked more than 40 kilometers and I was not, well, I had trained, but I was not ready for that. And then that caused an inflammation and it was by the grace of God that I was able to continue because I suddenly in the, when I was thinking of giving up or maybe being forced to give up because of the pain I, I encounter a, a retired um, uh, doctor who was actually also from, from Lourdes makes it even more special and uh, he, he helped me to uh, to continue to walk the Camino. So I had medical supervision and I had not <laughs> at all uh, thought that I would ever need that. But just 
God help me in, in this moment. He wanted me to continue. That's how I kind of interpreted afterwards. And so there were more times like that when every time I experienced God's providence, I would still try to keep control over things. And, well, obviously, as you can imagine, wow, even this path is so soggy. Oh, man. You... And it's very muddy. It's been raining so hard. Uh, even yesterday we had thunderstorms and just incredible amounts of rain. And we're, we're so used to dry weather for the past few years because of climate change that now, uh, you know what, I'm rock- I think I need to walk up back to the left side because I see there that there is a path. Oh my goodness, I'm... <laughs> sinking into the mud this is not good alright this part of the path is a little bit more elevated so hopefully it'll stay dry otherwise I'll have to turn back oh my goodness my shoes are covered in mud now <laughs> so it, it, it is absolutely something that has been haunting me uh, this this struggle and and, and one of my, you know, I can't continue here. Even this is completely submerged. Did I just hear frogs? It means the water is deep enough for, deep, deep enough for frogs. Yeah, right. No. Nope, 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 nope. I'm going to walk back. This is not working. <laughs> oh, it's so obvious. I'm walking towards a river. Why wouldn't it be soggy? Ay, ay, ay. I'll just walk on the dike. At least that is good old-fashioned ju- Dutch <laughs> Dutch proof that the, the water won't win. Um, so uh, uh, the last day that I uh, included in in this first episode, and we're going to do a three-parter about the about the Camino. Uh, the, the last day of the of this first part was an experience where I uh, again I walked too far and this time it wasn't my body that gave up or my legs that started to hurt but I arrived so late that all the uh, the um, the rooms in the town were were uh, were full there was no literally no place for me in any alberg and uh the next town was another hour or two away and I was I was completely dead I think I, I walked more than 40 kilometers that day so <clears throat> the uh, uh, I, I still remember the panic that maybe I had to sleep on a bench in the streets uh, and this was still in springtime so the nights were pretty cold and I was so exhausted. The only thing I, uh, I, I needed was sleep. And so I, I, was, I, I was dehydrated. I'd been walking for, I think, four or five hours without drinking a sip of water. Also because I did not prepare for a long distance like that. And that's when I heard my name. <laughs> Someone was calling me. And was calling calling me in Italian, Don Rodrigo. And I turned around and I saw these two older pilgrims from Italy. And they had seen me. I I hadn't even talked with them. 
back then. They had seen me when I was celebrating Mass in Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port, which is the, um, the last French town before you cross the border to Spain. And that, that's where a lot of people start their Camino. And so I had celebrated the evening that I was there. They had seen me. And maybe the local priest had introduced me as Father Roderick. And they, they remembered that. This was more than two weeks later. That they recognized me in the street. They tell me, you know what, we're going to take care of you. Don't worry. Uh, let's go to the sisters. And so they took me to a convent. Uh, I had to sit through Mass, which was so hard because I had still hadn't had a sip of water. I was completely, I was almost fainting. That's how dehydrated I was. And I had already celebrated Mass in the morning um, in the town where I left. So this was my second Mass and it was boring and it was warm and I was so tired. And the only thing I could think of was like, are these sisters going to help me? Please, God, let them help me. And then the, um, at first, the, the, uh, the two Italian pilgrims were talking to the Mother Superior. She was like, no, we don't do that. We, uh, if we start that, you know, we'll, we'll, our monastery will turn into a hotel. Plus, these sisters were cloistered. So they were not actually able to provide services to... to uh, uh, two pilgrims, <clears throat> but then the Italians were like, but this is not just a pilgrim, this is a priest. He's from the Netherlands, and uh, you cannot let a priest sleep in the streets. And so they started to <laughs> kind of coerce the sisters into helping me, which they eventually did. Uh, and they let me sleep on the couch in the, um, um, is it called the parlor? Where, where the sisters can uh, talk to their relatives. Uh, so there was this, this metal fence in the middle of the room. And then on the one side, there was a, a couch for visitors. And so the sisters let me sleep on the couch. And I got the key so I could get out early in the morning to continue my journey. That was the day, I think, that I finally kind of relented. I was like, okay, God, you actually do okay, take care of me and I can let go. I have to really stop micromanaging this this pilgrimage because it is preventing me from following your lead you want me to let go instead of you know trying to keep everything under control that is that is destroying your life right now that's what i basically thought afterwards this constant stress that is related to all the things that i burden myself with that is what i needed to let go of now it's funny I was editing this story last night, or actually this morning. I, I, I'd finished the voiceover text much later than I thought, so that was done on Monday. And then I started to do a little bit of editing on, on Tuesday, thinking I still have the entire day, and then Wednesday, as long as I can upload it on you know, Wednesday in the afternoon, I should be fine. That's almost two days. And the story's almost written, and I know I'm just going to tell it chronologically, so this is not a big deal. It turned out it was so hard, especially because I was, again, burdening myself with trying to make it as perfect as possible. 
what I set myself to do, and this was kind of an experiment in storytelling, was I, I um, normally when I do a TV show, I keep talking. I try to keep it moving by by uh, introducing new story elements, by narrating every every three, four minutes, something new needs to happen. And so my style is very much like uh, wallpapering the entire episode with uh, either a voiceover or an interview. Now, I saw this documentary that was made by a Dutchman, fellow Dutchman, who, uh, according to his biography, is actually himself a documentary maker, not a filmer, but someone who... I guess, directs documentaries. I'd never heard of the guy. But he decided at the age of 60, a little older than 60 maybe, to walk the Camino. And he filmed himself with a GoPro on a selfie stick. Now, uh, that's the worst way to film the Camino. <laughs> with a non-stabilized GoPro. This was before the newer versions that are actually using a lot of software tricks to stabilize the image. And I, I've heard they're very good, but this was just a regular, old-fashioned, super wide-angle GoPro on a flimsy selfie stick. That's just shaky business. <laughs> like, every single shot was terrible. But one difference with my approach was that he actually talks to the camera all the time. The downside of that is the guy has nothing to say. It was, well, there are a few kind of personal meanderings um, that may be of interest to people that are maybe in similar situations, but the guy knows nothing about the pilgrimage that he's walking. He never, ever talks about the spiritual aspect of the journey. And when he arrives in Santiago, he's just like showing... He, first of all, he's, he's talking to the camera. He says, well, here I am. I'm not going to say anything about this. Um, okay, so here's the church. And he just kind of swings the camera around uh, for a few seconds. And then, and then he's off again. He's like, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm going home. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and the entire journey is... Well, especially the first half, it's just shaky images of him walking. And ugh, everything is painful to my eyes as a filmmaker. But there's this one moment where he's talking about his what he learned from, uh, I think, a fellow a cameraman and uh, with whom he had worked to make his documentaries. And he said, what I've learned from this guy is Never be afraid to just put an image there and to leave it there for seconds. Now, seconds when you're editing video, that's a long time. Um, for, for audio, of course, you're, you're kind of used to these long takes where it's just, you're listening to me and in the meantime, you're doing something else. You may be uh, on a commute or doing household tasks or maybe you're just sitting in a chair and relaxing um, but with so I don't have to edit anything in this in this podcast a, a lot of the events is basically me describing what I see and you may hear some sounds like there's this I think this is a Tesla actually it was, it was dry. yeah this is a Tesla these are expensive houses here and you can barely hear him he's driving away there 
look super, super silent, these electrical cars. Anyway, so what I did, just did was to paint a picture of that black, super smooth Tesla that you now can see in your, with your inner eye. But I don't have to sit behind a computer to do that. Uh, with video, you constantly have to change images, otherwise it gets boring and repetitive. What he said was, I, I've been challenged by this cameraman to just, for instance, show a landscape and leave it there. And after 10 seconds, when you start thinking, you know, this is uh, maybe a little bit too long, you leave it there for another four seconds. And that's a lot. And then let that work. Uh, let, let that image do its work. And an, another thing that has struck me about this documentary... So this is a, like an hour and a half documentary that was actually shown in cinemas. He got funding for this from a prestigious national film fund. And I'm looking at that and it's like, my goodness. <laughs> this is not, I mean, what? <laughs> it is not, it's so horrible. It's like there's no content. There is there is absolutely no image quality. Where did he spend his money on? Actually, I, I realized afterwards what he spent the money on that he got from the funds is that he went back to Spain, probably with a very, very good camera crew and a drone operator, and they filmed a number of scenes that he inserted in between his own shaky <laughs> handheld camera stuff with zero contents. Uh, so that it actually would look like a documentary and those are the images you see in the trailer. So I was like, oh, I got to see this. And then you're basically looking at, at an hour and 20 minutes of, of shaky uh, action camera footage and then two minutes of really super beautiful <laughs> drone imagery. That's it. That's how simple it is. And maybe you did some spending on uh, PR as well and marketing too. <laughs> to get into the public eye. Anyway, I decided to learn from that documentary that I can make my storytelling better by maybe not telling the story. When you write it voiceover before you start editing, you have a t I have a tendency to describe everything that I've seen in the raw footage so that later on when I'm editing, I have like memory cues of oh, this needs this and this sequence of images <clears throat> but then what I was now challenged to do was to then cut out the narrative and let the images tell the story and that was that was hard but I think it worked and um, what it did was if you don't talk and you just show like an image for instance like every day I would do like a, a, a a, a fade in from black. So that creates the psychological experience of, of the passing of time. So every... I, I, and I took as a form the, the daily journal. So you've got day one and then fade from black into an image of Lourdes. That's where I started my journey. And then instead of talking, I just show the mountains. And I had to redo also all the audio effects. So, since I filmed everything with a phone, that's mono sound. Um, <laughs> oftentimes, the sound is completely unusable because of the wind. You, you've noticed that in your own 
recordings that you do or, or, or video calls where the other person will complain about the, the wind noise in your microphone. Well, I had that all the time. But in order to create an atmosphere, a morning atmosphere, so I needed to add well, what you hear now for, for real <laughs> birds. Uh, you need like the sound when you see a waterfall, you need to add the sound back into the edit. So fortunately, I have a pretty good library of, uh, of standard sounds that I can use for that. And I saved that from the early days of podcasting. Uh, remember when I had the daily breakfast? It would start with the, the sound of birds. That was from that library. And I've kept it until today and I still use it for projects like these. So then you see just you see the mountains. And I just leave the shot for five seconds, which is a ton of time. And then I show another picture and it's the basilica filmed from the balcony of the house where I was staying, which was overlooking the valley with the sanctuary. And it was a gorgeous morning. The only problem with that image was it was um, not horizontal. So back then I did not always have time to... Usually I was just trying to grab whatever image I could find, I could get, while doing something else. So very often the horizon is not level. And being a super perfectionist, I wanted to make sure that every shot that I used like that was level. So basically what you do then, you zoom into the image and then you turn it a few degrees, three to five degrees, until the horizon is level again. Um, but that is a, all these different steps. Like every single image that I used needed post-production, needed tweaks, either color, contrast, uh, horizon, stabilization. And this first episode, being 15 days of footage, I think must have, if I do a rough guess, maybe five to six hundred shots. So that means five to six hundred different steps in the process. First of all, selecting the shot, then tweaking it so it looks good. Uh, adding sound to every shot or fixing the shot, fixing the audio levels, um, making it match with the voiceover, adding music. Let's not forget that. So I added not just any music. I can only use copyright free music because if I ever want to use this on social media or on YouTube or wherever else, I must be the copyright holder of all the material, so I can only use the music bank from YouTube. And a lot of that music is very generic. I'm, I'm walking up some stairs here. I'm, I'm in the woods now. I'm trying to get to the top of this hill, and that's probably the arboretum over there. The only thing that I didn't account for is I do this after having worked since 8 o'clock in the morning Yesterday, I have not had sleep. And uh, so I've all, almost been awake for 24 hours and my energy is a little bit low. I'm actually surprised that I'm still so coherent. Slightly coherent, although there are tons of rabbit holes in this, uh, <laughs> in this, in this episode. But I do manage to remember what I was trying to say. Ooh, there's a caterpillar floating in the sky before me. That is because it is hanging on a... Oh, my God, it is fast. 
I was like, it was, it's, it spun a little thread. So I was afraid that if I would continue to walk, the caterpillar would end up, it's a tiny little green caterpillar, would end up on my clothes. And maybe in my clothes. <laughs> so I was trying to, uh, to catch the, the transparent uh, wire on which it was hanging. And then what I didn't realize is that it was, it was very, very quickly climbing up all the way to my hand. Okay. If that's the worst, I should probably never move to Australia if insects is not my thing. Okay. I'm on top of the mountain. I need to take a break here. Oh my goodness. I'm tired. I'm completely out of breath. Uh, so just imagine five to six hundred of these steps in a process. I totally underestimated the amount of time that it would take me to do this. And um, I've done episodes like this before. As I mentioned, the Ireland documentary was made in exactly the same way. But... I was even more finicky this time. I tried to make it even more filmic. And so I was constantly re-watching what I'd already edited. Does this work? Can I make it even more filmic? And I think what I managed to do, and that's what gives me a certain amount of satisfaction, I'm proud of that, is that in fact this new approach to storytelling, so diminishing the amount of of voiceover and information and just let the images speak for themselves. It absolutely works. And what an unexpected side effect is of this, of this way of telling a story is that it, uh, it slows down your perception of time. 25 minutes is not much. Um, just think of what you did today during half an hour. <laughs> Some of you, well, no, I won't go into details, but <laughs> some people, if they go to the toilet, they, they waste more than 25 minutes. So, um, but what I wanted to do is let people experience my journey. And after having seen this episode of, well, actually, technically, it's 22 minutes, they would still have this feeling, this experience of having walked with me for two full weeks. And by slowing down the narrative every single time, like in certain short mini breaks, where you, you, you fake, basically, that you have time enough, because I'm just showing you this mountainside. I'm showing you these green meadows, and it's, there's this, you hear the sound of the slight drizzle, and you hear in the distance the flock of sheep that is walking there downhill and I'm just pretending that I have time enough to show you this image for five or six seconds and that's long let me just count it's like imagine you're, you're overlooking you're in the mountains in, in France and you're looking downhill and you see it's it's gray weather it's drizzling a little bit you hear the sound you hear the birds around you you see these sheep walking around with their bells you know the the what is it uh uh, cowbells, <laughs> actually, cowbells. Do they, do they have sheep bells? And just imagine that image. And then I'm just going to count how long I left that image there on the screen. So I basically did. So you see, you see the picture. 
like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And then I move on. That is eight seconds. That is a, that's very long. So what your brain is telling you is oh, we have so much time to just be here, to dwell in this place. And then I, I pick up the pace. So I, I usually, uh, for, for, well, if you have 25 minutes and 15 days, I could only show a few images per day. But because I had these, these constant, this constant acceleration, deceleration, you have the psychological effect of having watched an, a movie that is like two hours long, at least in, in, in my experience. And I, I, I'd read about this and I'd seen some YouTube tutorials on how to do this, how to slow down time in the experience of your viewer. And this is the first time that I actually managed to do it. And um, it was a discipline. It was, um, and, uh, it, it was challenging for me because I'm usually, as you can tell by me talking now for 45 minutes, I'm a talker. <laughs> And I tend to fill in every every minute with uh, information or thoughts. So withholding my commentary and let the images speak, um, that worked. We can do a little test here. So you've been listening for 45 minutes. It's been going on and on and on. And it's uh, a lot of <laughs> behind-the-scenes information on how I, I I tell my stories. But let me just describe here the... The place, uh, there's a bench here on my right hand side, it has a small inscription. It says, This is Jobs Bench. The walk, the, the walk, <laughs> the walk, walk in Dutch is cloud. The cloud in the sky follows the wind. The bird in the sky makes his own journey. That's nice. I like that. Are you a cloud? Or are you a bird? And this bench is overlooking a big open meadow. On the left, I just see the rooftops of some houses in between the trees. And on the right-hand side, it's all covered in taller trees on top of this mountain. The sky is gray, just a little hint of blue. And there are small mosquitoes swirling around me. Just take that in. That was eight seconds. <laughs> you see the effect? That's eight seconds where you're just in this park with me. And you hear the little sounds. You may actually even force yourself to, to perceive more because you don't get any verbal input. So you, you're listening more closely. That, that's, that's how things work like that. I love discovering these new techniques. And I think it... It helps me improve my skill as a documentary maker, which ultimately is, of course, one of my, well, one of, it's not, that's not a dream. I'm living the dream. I'm doing these projects. And the only <laughs> nightmarish aspect of this kind of work is that every once in a while, I, I have a, I have trouble 
uh, estimating the amount of time something takes because editing is a is a creative process and you can't really pre-plan creative processes you can procedures stuff you do all the time batch processing that's stuff that you can put a timer on even recording this podcast for me is relatively simple because I've always got stuff in my mind to share with you and I know that I go for a walk and after about an hour so that would be a 12 minutes from now <laughs> I have to make sure I'm back home and I, I, I press stop on the on the on the on the recorder that's about it um, that is much harder when you're still creating the story um, and there's basically not really a, a, a time limit. Well, the only time limit is the deadline and that, but that's not a creative moment that is a business moment that is where my contract will start acting up if I don't deliver and well the contract includes some very strict language on what happens if I don't provide people with a, uh, the episode uh, within the time limit you just wait for this person who's walking the dog I'm, I'm walking over a very small path here and uh, a lot of the Plants are growing over the road as well. Hello. I think that is a Labrador dog, but a very quiet one. <laughs> Usually these Labradors are full of energy. This one maybe has already walked for a long time. Um, so uh, the, the business deadline is just not a very productive... Well, it is productive but not in the right way. It doesn't really allow you to fully be creative. And when I'm working towards a deadline, and I'm, don't get me wrong, I need deadlines also to go to work. That's kind of my flaw. And I guess we all have something like that. If we would never have exams in school, would we ever open a book and learn? Probably not. You know, you have to... Basically, a deadline is a, a goal you set yourself but you externalize it. You, you set that goal with another party and there are consequences for not reaching that goal. But um, it, it, it also forces you to take a lot of shortcuts and to make decisions that maybe uh, later you, you regret. And one of the things that I did two or three years ago when I did my first summary of the Camino one of the things I, I regret tremendously is I, that I only did one episode about it. Like, what was I thinking? And even now, I do three episodes, so that's about an hour and a half. I had to cut out so much good stuff just to squeeze it into 25 minutes. And so now I'm thinking, well, if I do this international version of this story, I will have no trouble expanding it. Because basically everything I cut out, I cut it out for time reasons not for storytelling reasons there is stuff that i didn't include because it's just not interesting <laughs> and you can't have five minutes of of footage of me walking on the camino that's not interesting so stuff needs to happen but but i also cut out a lot of interesting details and um, information and, and and all that you know when i'm making this for myself and for you I don't have to squeeze it into 25 minutes. It's like podcasting. Who cares how long a podcast is? 
you can always pause and listen to the rest later on or or listen to this on double or triple speed they're actually the fast and the furious among the podcast listeners that will just set a certain you know accelerated speed so they can listen to the podcast in half the time or even a quarter of the time anyway the what i like about doing this uh, extended documentary or this three-part documentary about the camino is that it helps me relive also the lessons learned and the contradictory experience that i have is that this first part of the story was all about letting go of pressure uh, trusting God's providence, um, trying not to force myself too much. And I'm, I'm reliving that story while I'm doing exactly what I'm not supposed to do. <laughs> so I, I <laughs> volunteer to do these episodes. And in fact, from a business, business point of view, this is not the best decision this takes much more time than a regular interview that I would normally do. Um, plus, I'm not only uh, paying the price in terms of time and effort, but also my health. It's skipping a night like this. Well, been there, done that. But I shouldn't have been there, and I shouldn't have done that. So, um, it just goes to show that uh, it's hard to learn lessons. It's Well, it's actually easy to learn a lesson. It's very hard to be consistent with these lessons. And sometimes you just have to re-experience the same mistakes to realize what you'd forgotten about. So, so what am I going to do with all this knowledge and insight? Well, I'm taking today off because I, well... Not much good is coming from my hands anyway. Plus, the day is almost over <laughs> once, once I uploaded. So this is... The, the, the delay was not just me struggling with, you know, the, the kind of quality that I wanted to deliver and the, the, the small amount of time that I had for that. But I was also fighting a lot with the software. Uh, this is a very complex edit, and so... This is where I'm starting to feel the boundaries of, of my computer. Um, it has 16 gigs of memory, and I can tell that it's not enough. I've got still have a, a physical hard drive in there, and I need it because, of course, well, 40 days worth of, of HD video, that's a lot of data. Um, but it's a physical hard drive, so it's very slow compared to an SSD. But back then when I had this computer made that was an SSD was still so that's a like a flash hard drive those were so expensive nowadays they're starting to become affordable um, so I'm <laughs> again also seeing the downsides of uh, having to work with slightly older equipment I'm still already very happy that I'm not editing an Evit let's be clear about that but um, for the next uh, season or, or future projects, this actually shows me that it's time to upgrade the computer again. Again! It feels like I just did that, but this computer is already three years old. And so um, the, the next decision is probably going to be, am I going to switch back to Macintosh? 
uh, because of the uh, uh, rendering speeds of the the M1 CPU that Apple designed. I'm hearing so many good things of it. And speed, speed is the best thing you can get. I don't care that much about the operating system or anything, um, but speed, uh, um, just to show you what happened, what, when I finished the episode, this was, it was five o'clock in the morning, I was so tired. And then I had to um, render the episode. Which means the computer looks at all these different layers in the timeline. I usually have eight layers. Um, well, no. I have eight audio layers. Stereo. Every stereo channel is two layers. So eight. Basically four stereo channels. Um, one is for the original audio. The second one is um, voiceover and overlap. The third one is sound effects. And the fourth one is music. Um, and then I have usually two to three video layers. So it has to take all these layers and render the final image per frame. That is very fast on this computer, but it still takes about, how much time did it take? About 45 minutes. So then it was a quarter to six. And then, and I, I didn't even go into detail on how often the software would crash or would freeze just because of the complexity of the edit. Probably a memory problem or could also be a scratch disk problem. It's trying to use a mechanical disk for the temporary files and that stalls the computer and the software. Anyway, I had to reboot the software countless times during the night. And every time you reboot your computer, of course, that's another five to ten minutes before you can get back to work. Um, then the next challenge was how do I upload this? How do I get this to the FTP server of my of the broadcasting company that I work for? Uh, because I'm not on fiber internet. The rectory of Father Henry is still on cable internet and it has an ideal upload speed of, I think we measured it the other day and it was five and uh, mega megabits per minute? I don't know. It was slow. It's about um, 1% of the speed that I had. I'm saying that correctly. I had 500 up and down in, in, in my previous directory. Now I've got five. And then I noticed that when I was trying to upload it, it wasn't even five. It was 500. Or it wasn't even one. No, five. What am I trying? It was 10% of the already small upload speed that was promised. I don't know why, but anyway, it, it, it indicated that it would take more than four and a half hours to upload the file. This was around six o'clock in the morning. My editor and the, well, the two people that are making the final cut need to start working. We need to have that material at eight o'clock. So, I was just like, what am I going to do? I probably have to hop into the car and drive to the to Hilversum, which is 45 minutes away. And with my sleepy head, and then just bring it there because this internet is not fast enough. And I'm not going to meet the demands of my contract. <laughs> That's the last thing you want to worry about at the end of a 24-hour a workday. 
So ultimately, uh, I, I noticed that the FTP uh, program was speeding up gradually. So thankfully, I managed to upload it uh, in about two hours, a little more than two hours. And that was right in time. So, I like, oh. And then I, <laughs> I tried to sleep a little bit, which failed miserably. So I just went to bed. It was, I think, eight o'clock in the morning. And then uh, it felt like a second later, my phone go, uh, rings and it's Hank, who is overseeing the renovation projects in, in my future rectory. And <laughs> they've been working there for about two and a half weeks now, um, nonstop. And it's going very well, but it's it's a ton of work. It's a, <laughs> a little bit disheartening to see how much had to be renovated. It was so much more than I could have estimated. Not you know being an expert, when I saw the house, I was like, oh, this looks good. And uh, turns out <laughs> everything is old. So we're doing uh, basically uh, we're, we're stripping the entire building, or we stripped the entire building, or we're doing everything. And today was electricity day, second day where company is redoing all the wiring because all the wiring was from the 50s of the last century so it's not safe if you're working with electrical equipment um, so all that had to be redone from scratch <laughs> you, can, you can't use the old outlets for for this it had to all everything had to be redone and so they called me up or hank called me up for some you know to uh to discuss a few issues and then, uh, and then I, I went back to sleep. And then a second later, I hear Father Henry walking <laughs> towards my door, knocking on the door. Are you there? <laughs> I'm trying to sleep. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. It's not urgent. Uh, so at one point, I just, I just woke up. <laughs> and here I am, walking, walking here. And I, in the distance, I can see the Hotel the World, which is next to the rectory. Um, one last thing that I just heard yesterday while I was editing this and I was telling myself, oh man, I hope they cancel this TV show. I am so tired. I don't want to do this anymore. I can't. <laughs> I'd rather make international, international documentaries. I get a phone call that actually the program has been renewed for another season. So if I would please make 15 more episodes... And oh, by the way, the new season starts in 15 weeks. <laughs> I'm now, what? Oh my goodness, there goes my summer. And of course, it is, it is, a, it is a chance to reach a lot of people. And, and the, the program is doing really, really well uh, ever since it moved to Saturday. So I'd be crazy to, to not take this opportunity to tell some Catholic stories. On the other side, on the other hand, I'm thinking, what did you just tell yourself while editing the first leg of your Camino? Don't overburden yourself. Try to do less, and otherwise you'll get in trouble. And yes, God's providence will help you, but maybe some extra work from your end would also be helpful. And like, am I going to make another 15 episodes then I really have to this will be for another episode of the walk I have to think very hard on how I'm going to do this 
because I cannot possibly realize these. The, the kind of documentary that I'm currently making is actually should have a budget that is fivefold what I currently have. This is just not, it's too much to do all by yourself. Just as I cannot renovate my rectory by myself. I, I really need good people who can do that much faster, much better than I can. In the same way, I think I have to reorganize my, my media work. My phone goes off, so I'm going to answer that call. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Take care.